Mana 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 this is social discasting. Welcome to Social Discasting, a podcast where my guests and I discuss our lives amidst the wanton hellscape in which we find ourselves. I'm Brandon, aka Brandon. I hope you're well. My guest is a writer, actor, director, editor, and podcaster who's worked on shows like Saturday Night Live, Moonbeam City, The Break with Michelle Wolf, Jimmy Fallon's Tonight Show, and the upcoming show, which looks really cool, Scroll Wheel of Time, along with co-hosting the Pretty new podcast, I think maybe as of a couple months ago, which I'm very much enjoying. Mama Needs a Movie. Please welcome Ryan Perez. Welcome. Hey, hey. Thanks, hey. Brandon. Thanks for having me on. Absolutely. Thank you for taking the time. I really appreciate it. I'm so thrilled. Uh, I know. I do. I had to like, oh, yeah, this is the thing that I, that's my thing. I need to direct this. We were talking like 20 minutes before this. So I was like, yeah, I don't, I don't need to waste your time. I guess that's, we're just talking in the real world, but uh, got to start somewhere with the show. The deeply unfair, easy to ask, difficult answer question: How are you, and how have you been, for that matter? How are I mean? I think I've been. Uh, I think I'm. I'm sort of depressed, but you know, I have my Same. health. So, wh- wh- why is that hard to answer? I, uh, that seems easy to answer for me. <laughs> <laughs> well, Dep- there. I guess it's the fact that it's the thing I've I've said now for two years. So it's kind of like everything is just like, yeah, this is just life now. Yes. But yeah. When I started asking it, that was a real legitimate question and now it's just the starting point for this podcast uh yeah i'm sure i'm sure people were uh, well i know you were doing shows in the uh in the deep deep pandemic where people were like well it's really tough out there and yeah. oh boy but i'm doing fine and the family's doing good you know yeah but i uh you know we're we're at a different stage now we're at a different stage uh uh i guess emotionally it's weird because you feel like you should be doing better yeah, uh, you feel like okay, the ice is thawing, and you should go out there and really be taking on the world. And I know a lot of people that are like, eh, just not feeling that good. But <laughs> that's about yeah. It's like it's both depends on the day, but it's like, well, you know, I just have the looming specter of death over me at all times, and <laughs> there's no way of quantifying. You know, COVID is just the thing that's out there, and you can't see, taste, or touch it, but it's definitely a thing, and I don't know what to do with it. And you're and some days you you have the cheery tone, and other days you're like. Yeah, the fucking lingering specter of death. And it's just, ah, yeah. This is just, it's just life now, you know? I don't know. Yeah, yeah. It's a moody, it's a moody, it's a mood, we live in a mood swing (laughs) these days. (laughs) Yeah, I talked to a doctor who phrased it in a way that was both um, clinical, but also like frightening. And it was like, yeah, you know, COVID's a thing and it's always going to be a thing. And it's just another, you know, it doesn't replace a form of death. It's just another one. And I was like, yeah. I mean, it makes sense, but I'm like, I was not prepared to hear that in that moment. Yeah, that's a that's a tough pill to swallow from a doctor, no less. But yeah, a, 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 yeah, that's a that's a rough one to just be like, yeah, we're you know that thing, cancer. Uh, we we just added another one. You know, cancer, yeah. AIDS, uh, uh, Alzheimer's. Uh, there's now a new this new one, COVID. But uh, so yeah, it doesn't uh, replace with that. one, unfortunately. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's like no. There were two billion before, and now there's two billion and one. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, cool. I'm just going to schedule a therapy appointment again, uh, emergency text my therapist, and have an absolute meltdown. Sounds good. And we only have like to record for 40 more minutes in that episode of that podcast. So I was like, perfect. Great. Uh, yeah, uh, it's... Uh... Yeah, but at the same time, we're I think we're stealing, you know, to this is definitely not the kind. I always think this about the uh, pandemic is I'm like, if let's say tomorrow a really horrible one came out, like one where people you just immediately died or children, God forbid, children died more, we would at least know what to do. 
We would. Yeah. It wouldn't be like, oh, what do we do? Do we like buy, go and buy a bunch of pasta and, uh, you know, like we would we would go like, okay, we got that. We know how to. A lot of people know how to work remotely. We don't. We do know how a lockdown basically works. Like we're never going to have to go through the first pandemic of our lives again, which is kind of reassuring in a way. But I can deal with that. You know, like yeah. at least that's so. Uh such a fucked up impossible thing to process that i can also though like oh yeah definitively i don't do this as opposed to now you know when you're in like the lulls of the pandemic which i guess we're in but maybe not depending on where you are because mm. things are raging again i guess but uh you know that it's there's a there's so much gray area that i don't know what to do yeah and you've i feel like i don't know if you're if you're like this at all but it's like when the um i was very conservative i've been i live alone and i've been very conservative through the whole thing like Same i, was, here. I yeah. was very careful and uh didn't see a lot of people and that that went for year one almost most of year two and like i later on i look back and i said wow i didn't take advantage of that time when the numbers were low i should have gone out and seen more people and done more things when the numbers were low and so now when the numbers are low it's like this gambit of like how far should i push going out and doing things because i know they're going to get high again yeah there, there will inevitably over the summer or at the very latest in the fall and winter there will be another surge so like i live it up i guess while you can but if you live it up too much you're going to get it and spread it okay what do we do <laughs> yeah i mean because like it's even it's not that you won't get it it's that you have less likelihood relative to previous instances so even then it's just like i I, I don't know what um, overcompensating w looks like, you know, doing too much because I didn't do enough in the past. I didn't take advantage, but we're also given, you know, con time gives context. So I know that now. And I, then again, I know people that were just like kind of not doing a lot and then they still got it. So I don't even know what to do. I just know I don't want it on ever at all. Period. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I know um, that. <laughs> yeah. But then again, if you get it, it's like you get it and it's done with and then you move on, you know. Sure. And, um I mean I do think it is like we are moving. I think what the doctor means, what that what whoever that doctor was, I think what he means is like we are moving to the point where we will we will all get it and we will all probably get it multiple times. It's it just won't be um a death sentence for us you know if you're a young and relatively yeah. healthy person it won't be a death sentence for you and hopefully at a certain point it won't be if you're an older person and you get it it'll 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 mitigate and become less and less of a of a concern um i think so i, I, I think that's you know what it is like um i think somebody phrased it as like relative to the original you know our version of the flu now is from the spanish flu a hundred years ago but we're in a much more technological world to where people are more worldly. So it's going to get to that point far faster than this original like flu, for example. Mm -hmm. So, and which is also how we got vaccines so much more expeditiously than we have in history because of things like that. So in, in a weird way, it's just like, well, that's, that's good. I kind of want to blink and get there already, frankly. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But, yeah. <laughs> but we got to earn it, you know, unfortunately. Yeah. 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 Well, different topic, maybe a happier topic, depending on your perspective, but we are recording this on the eve, Oscar's eve, as nobody says ever. Ooh, baby. But the night before. Yeah, what's your relationship with the history with the Oscars? So for me personally, 
I know they're not important, but I fucking love them. I love them. Love it all. Love the pageantry. I've watched them since I was a kid, Mm -hmm. and I'm all about it. I watched the Best Picture nominees. I've watched all but one so far this year. I have one left to watch. But what's your history with them? Are you excited about them? Not at all. I am loath to admit it, but I do get excited about the Oscars every year because when I was growing up, it was like it sort of was part of part of discovering movies and becoming really passionate about them was and I, I say passion I, I, that sounds more lyrical than I mean I mean what I mean is I'm sort of an obsessive I'm like I I have I've I have I'm obsessive about movies to a degree that stunts my life and growth um yeah but, same. but part of uh that uh part of that process involved it was kind of part and parcel with it where it's like okay uh, oh and the academy awards this is like the big gaudy tv show and you sort of realized it was silly even as a kid i realized that even as a kid but i just loved are you kidding there's a big award show with jack nicholson and steven spielberg and they're all going to win awards and i mean this is the greatest thing in the world and so i think i know a lot of people that are like hmm it's not fun and it's not it's not sophisticated or whatever it's like who gives a shit it's it's i mean it's it's a it's not supposed to be it's supposed to be big it's it's entertainment baby um and so i watched them I love them, love them, love them, like from the age of 10 to the age of probably, I don't know, 15 or 16. And then as I've gotten older, I've kind of, I, I watch them every year. I'm not as like, um, I'm not like a Mr. Oscar or something. Like I know yeah. people that are really, there's like, um, I worked with a guy called Louis Vertel years ago, who's like a, a briefly, who's like, he's like one of these guys who's like, really into it and knows all the stats and he can tell you all the best supporting actor people and all this stuff um i'm not that level of knowing all that everything but uh and uh and most of the years it's like you just have to acknowledge like yeah it's not usually very good films that are nominated (laughs) but i try to see them every year i usually do see every best picture nominee have you seen them all this year yeah because i I just have coda left and i'll probably watch that tomorrow coda you should watch because it looks like it might win yeah, I've, I saw somebody prognosticate the other day about how they think that maybe their guesses, and this is like a theory, that they think it, they could see Coda, Belfast, and uh, Power of the Dog siphoning enough votes from each other that they think that Nightmare Alley could sneak in there because it's so beloved by people in like the craft section of voters wow i would have think nightmare Alley's like the least likely to get that's out. what i would think because to wow. me um i like that movie a lot but i also was kind of shocked that it was nominated i just didn't anticipate it you know i actually this is part of the part of the like dorky thing i do is i actually do like the night before the nominations i've done i do this almost as like a, a ocd type tradition i just write down like here's what i think the 10 nominations are going to be yeah and i think i got this year i got them all right I think I swapped something in. What did I not call? I think I didn't call Drive My Car, even though that was there was some speculation that was going to be nominated. But I did predict Nightmare Alley because I was like, I think this movie has, I think if you're older and you remember Golden Age films and film noir yeah. and that kind of stuff, you'll like this movie. And the craft, yeah, exactly. The craft people will like it. And so I did call the nomination, but I think the, a win would be highly unlikely. I've been a big, I'm big, I think people are underrating Dune as like i think dune because i think it will win a lot of craft awards like a lot in sound and i wouldn't be surprised if it won editing or something and then it looks like cinematography it could actually sneak in yeah you know in a very stacked field for cinematography you know seemingly this year what i think it won like the big one 
Nightmare Alley's up. Oh, sure. Okay. And I say that. And let me. I think it's like Power, probably Power of the Dog. Oh, yeah. Power of the Dog is like one of the other. Power of the Dog, I can't tell whether it's going to be a sweep or not win a lot. I can't really tell what it's going to be because Best Actor, it seems like it's going to be Will Smith at this point. So that'll be one. But I've seen some people guessing that that actually like Kirsten Dunst is going to sneak in for Best Supporting win that. And, but I, I think Costner, you know, for Coda seems like as much of a lock as anything right now. Yeah. He seems like he, I feel like earlier in the race, it was the kid that, uh, that kid from power of the dog. And now, uh, he seems like, I don't, I think there's a, everything I've heard lately is like, people love Coda. It's the one that it's the little screener that everyone didn't watch for a long time. And once they watched it, they loved it. And that's the, that's the, it's going to, sweep all three of its nominations and uh it's just the kind of heartwarming thing that people are into right now and and that's that's the convention that seems to be like the pervading wisdom of the moment we'll see by the time this airs it will have all happened probably yeah and that's why i'm i'm yeah i'm really curious i i saw somebody point out too that they think because out of all the major award nominations uh or categories at this point that it seems like best actress is the most kind of a toss-up nobody really knows gets any kind of like idea of who's going to win but somebody mentioned on twitter i think that they think per- penelope cruz could sneak in and take that oh because, yeah because parallel mothers has been playing in certain like art houses in la for months like, yeah people just love it yeah that movie's like a, a weird a weird art house hanger on or where it's like yeah it's been if you go to like out in here in la the uh the landmark on pico i think has had a, a screen devoted to parallel mothers for like three months now and so I, I yeah it's i think that uh that's and she's and she's really a remarkably i mean she's already won before but penelope cruz is like those collaborations with almodovar are some of the great performances uh and uh, uh he seems to get her in a way that nobody else does yeah no certainly in a way that american movies were never able yeah. to use her and uh and it's a little like whenever i see juliet binoche in a movie you forget that like oh juliet binoche is one of our greatest she's one of the greatest actresses in the world yeah uh and you just forget it because it's she's not in a lot of hollywood movies or when she's in a hollywood movie it's like dan in real life or something you know <laughs> god i can't think of that movie without thinking of head on pancakes it's head on pancakes every time it's you know in a weird way it might be one of the most effective posters of all time because that's what it's so vivid in my head Oh That's yeah! Oh, it's great key art. I mean, I'm a, another thing. I mean, it, it, this is an extension of liking movies. Is I, I I have a I don't collect a lot of memorabilia or posters. I have a small collection of film posters from over the years, and I and I've recently gotten back into it. And just you just look at key art. And just go, wow, that's a very good image. Like yeah. head on pancakes is a very good image. So it's not no one's going to like prize the Dan in real life poster. It's not <laughs> an iconic, it's not like uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark or something, but it's a great it's it, it is very effective. It works as advertising. Yeah, it's like a a tagline for a movie or like uh or like the, it's it's the idea that whatever commercial sticks in your head, that's the purpose. It's the most effective. It's not gonna be award worthy necessarily to your point but that is the point of what we're doing so it is completely successful yeah i was uh another another thing i was reminded of was um relatively or when the matrix resurrections came out and i'm not even a big matrix head but i was i was looking up like old uh old poster art from matrix 
reloaded. And there was a great campaign where it was like the heads of the characters were cut off and it was just their outfits. And so it's like the twins, those the dreadlock twins, like just from kind of like eyes down and uh, uh, Neo and all these characters. And you go and, and yeah. I was just marveling at like, wow, this is like a great it's like a great fashion campaign. Like if you saw it, you if from truly from like a Mad Men, like I'm a advertising guy, like in an office looking at the, the ad. I'm like, wow, what a great this is just very effective uh, artistic ad work, you know? Yeah. It's almost like the. <laughs> the equivalent of like the Jaws approach of the less is more, so it's more evocative. Yeah. Because then you just wonder, you have more room for projection, I guess. Yeah. So then you're like, oh, what's that about? You know, yeah. and it makes a kind of makes it intriguing. And also, that feels like, I don't know, in a in a world where at least right now it feels like more is more, that feel that is now somehow been relegated as subtle, or or at least maybe it was then too, but. Now it feels like you have to show them everything and beat them over the head with it. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, who who knows what they'll what they'll think? You know. Yeah. But no, there's no ambiguity ever. Well, now when you watch a trailer, I mean, a perfect example of this is like, oh, oh, cool, a trailer's out, and you click you click play on the trailer on YouTube, and a little trailer plays before the trailer, <laughs> uh, yeah. like some kind of little. I don't even know. I really don't know what this is. I guess there, it's like. Maybe we need to show you who's in it real quick, or we need to show you there's an explosion or something before we even do the the trailer, which is like Let has us its own pacing. And then you see. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> because the trailer, but hey, the trailer is going to start out a little slow. It's going to be a shot of the city, and you, you know we're not going to. So it's just stay with us. We promise is, you that you know something. Is Morbius happen. in Morbius? Yes. Oh, okay. Okay. <laughs> yeah. I'll continue watching that thing I'd already agreed to watch. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> is dr morbius okay yes okay good okay good okay yeah i just want to make sure that he is morbius and that he turns into morbius you know and that these <laughs> i want to make sure Look, that, that happens i've been fooled before and i promise i made a promise myself never again so i just want to make sure okay yes okay dr morbius okay okay <laughs> uh, what other posters do you have because i feel like i remember seeing in a video clip from your podcast uh robocop is that one of them I don't have Robocop. I have another okay. Verhoeven, which is I have a recently acquired Total Recall Advance. That's the okay. Poster. I completed those. Yes. Okay. And uh, I have an old. I mean, this is truly something I did. This was like a hobby I had when I was like about thirteen or fourteen years old, and then I I have just now uh, gone back and picked it up. So I have an old Raging Bull. I have an old uh, nice. uh, Raising Arizona. I have um, uh, some Albert Brooks movies that I like. I have. Um, I have my my most by far the most prized one I have. I don't even keep it in my my uh, I keep it in storage. Is uh is I when I was very young, I bought a poster for Goodfellas uh, because I like the movie Goodfellas for like twenty dollars, and uh, and now it's appreciated to pro. It might be worth in its condition. It might be worth a couple hundred dollars. I would imagine. Oh, wow. um, uh, that's the, that's the one where it's like, Oh, I bet, I bet. Right. It's a little bit of an investment, like betting game too, which I kind of like, like what art is going to, it's a little bit like the poor man's version of art, uh, collection, you know, yeah. you're like, oh, I think, I think, you know, I think if I buy like this poster for Clute or something like Clute's, that's, that's something that seems like it's going to be rediscovered and appreciated years from now. And people will like this art, you know, um, so, I saw that yeah. for the first time last year. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, I was blown away by it. I just had, I love it. I think it's so good. It really yeah. blew me away. Yeah. I did not. Um, I knew is that thing where like, 
I'm watching it because I've heard of it and I've heard it so good. But then to watch it and realize, oh, it's better than I could have ever anticipated. It's it's so good. I cannot recommend it enough. Yeah, that's a that's one that um, and Jane Fonda too is somebody who like. I feel like even people you know that are like super hardcore into movies and seventies crime dramas and this and that they may they're just kind of like ah oh, Jane Fonda I don't really know what she and I mean they don't there's like a maybe a uh, a lack of understanding of her role yeah. in movie history and and certainly that movie and Coming Home there's a few Jane Fonda movies that are really interesting yeah Coming Home with uh, uh, not and and I almost said Angelina Jolie's father so that was technically true for some John Voight yeah. yeah. John Boyd, who put in some really interesting performances in the seventies with like Deliverance and obviously Urban Cowboy uh, or Midnight Cowboy? No. Uh, yeah, yeah. Midnight Cowboy. Yeah, yeah. I would conflate it Urban Cowboy, which is a very different movie. Uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean the, uh, and then he got fun and thinking about it now. He suddenly in the like the nineties and two thousands, he suddenly became let's put makeup on him in biopics to play yeah. any hu- person. He had a real run for a while. It was very successful. Oh yeah, he was. Uh, yeah, he, uh, Ali um, uh, as Howard Cosell and um, played FDR, I think, in Pearl Harbor. I think. Fr- oh, that's right. Yeah, a friend of mine sent me uh, yesterday actually the a couple of stills of like his, sort of his faith based movies now that he makes. Now he's oh, become yeah. like very much the guy that you hire for like you know a, a firefighter with faith or whatever, and it's like co starring John Voight. Uh, he's become very much uh, that kind of actor because I don't think I think he's I guess he was a Trump supporter and so I I think he probably will not be getting a lot of major Hollywood roles anymore. Yeah, it maybe he's doing the faith based version of uh, Bruce Willis's Five Days for Five Million that he's doing. Yeah, apparently. Yeah, yeah. Uh, oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah. I mean, so he was literally in I think in 2021 seven movies. Yeah, maybe maybe more, but it's like yeah, the the alleged deal is, I I do your movie for five days, you pay me five million dollars a, a million a day, mm-hmm. and we're we're in done. And yeah, to the degree that I think that like a couple of the movies he's done are the same movie within the same year, like ostensibly the same thing. Although allegedly there are also like uh, unfortunate tinges to why he's doing it, supposedly, um, depending on what you've read, uh, but. You know, is I, it like a know. is it like a, a, a alimony situation or a, no? A, uh, no, they supposedly, uh, allegedly, he has early onset Alzheimer's. Oh gosh, wow! So the reason he's doing all these is because he's working while he can, taking whatever money, and it's more of a volume game to stockpile money, I guess. But you know, suppose depending on what you read, mm-hmm. they're saying that this could be all the way back to the movie Glass. Uh, the M. Night Shyamalan movie, which was oh, not even that long ago, wow. that he was having trouble even then, supposedly. Oh, wow. Okay, well, then that that would make sense that he's doing a little... I mean, this is also not... Um, I think I might have, like... Uh, uh, I might romanticize these actors more than than uh, than maybe makes sense, but uh, it's also... A, it's an old tradition. I mean, it goes back to... I can remember years... This is like 20, 30 years ago, a friend of mine went to Europe and was like... 
you know, like in the video store there, there's just like a bunch of Christopher Walken movies you've never even heard of. Like, yeah. <laughs> and you go, and, and, and I think he would, he was on a similar thing where he would go show up for a day. He had his rate for whatever his, you know, to go and shoot his little part in an action movie. And at the time I was like, hmm, that was the first time I ever really heard of it. And then every actor I really loved from the last 20 years, this became their career. Pacino did it. De Niro did it. Uh, every action guy of the last 20 years has done it. It's sort of, I never would have predicted that in a million years that that's how uh you know morgan freeman's career would end would be like yeah. you know taking little little parts and what are essentially red box movies uh it's a very fascinating I don't, I don't really watch these movies so much it would be an interesting survey one day to go deep into those movies and really look at them and see if there's any good ones yeah i'm curious i i mean i guess at least considering the volume to your point of like all these there are so many of them it's its own subgenre of just Hey, I go on vacation and I get paid a lot of money in general relative to how much work I have to do. Mm. And and even on a smaller level, they did they've done those with just commercials in like in an Asian market, but we only know about them now because the internet <laughs> knows all. And yeah. we see them all. <laughs> yeah. You know, and they to the point where they point, you know, they make a joke about it. that's a whole subplot in Lost in Translation, for yes. example. Yeah. Uh, just pointing to that. Now we know, oh, they've been doing them forever. Yeah. I remember when I first had video on the internet, like when, when you could first play like little files on the, I guess you could always play little files on the internet, but when I, when they I, they were actually watchable, when you actually had watchable, that was the very yeah. first thing. There was a website that collected celebrity commercials from, uh, uh, that they had done internationally and so you so that was one of the first things i ever shared was like look at this like arnold schwarzenegger commercial from tokyo look at this old sean connery commercial for milk look at this bruce uh who was it um brad pitt doing a commercial for jeans in japan yeah and i remember that being like one of the early very fascinating things to watch like oh my god in other countries they do commercials and now it's uh I think celebrities run to do every commercial they can in the United States. Honestly, if you if you were like, hey, you can go to a new country, we'll put you in the best accommodations imaginable, and you'll get a blank check. I, man, I would struggle to say no to that. I don't blame anybody. You know, like the first one I remember, I think is like a Nescafe commercial or something with George Clooney. Oh, sure, yeah. That, that's the first one I remember. I feel like I saw one with a uh, delightful noted curmudgeon Tommy Lee Jones. Oh uh, god, yeah. He of uh, noted I cannot sanction your buffoonery fame. Yeah. If you've read that story about uh Jim Carrey going up to him when they're yeah. filming Batman Forever. Uh, a class. I cannot sanction your buffoonery. I love it. I'm a, I'm an a, I'm an asshole. I'm known as an <laughs> asshole. <laughs> and we're just okay with that cuz I I for some reason, you know, like that reminds me that he yeah. was on Inside the Actor's Studio and they always do the questions at the end and they yeah. asked him, what's your least favorite word? Yeah. And he's gave the most Tommy Lee Jones answer in the history <laughs> of answers. And he bristled and he looked so pained when he uh -huh. said it. And he goes, cute. Oh, uh, yep. I remember and that. And it's just like, that's <laughs> perfect. You can't write, no notes. You can't write that better. Oh, yeah. He's a, uh, and I love him. I love, I mean, I don't agree with Tommy Lee Jones, but I love him. Like, I, I have to give it, he, I think he's a fun, I think he's a phenomenal actor. I actually like the curmudgeon attitude. And I saw him on I a, I saw him on an old uh, Charlie Rose interview and he, Charlie Rose was, he had just directed some Western. I think he'd done the Three Burials or, Holmes, okay. Holmesman or something like that. Or like The Missing or something. Yeah. yeah, something like that. And he, Charlie Rose was saying like, what did you, 
what films inspire you, don't inspire you? And he was like, well, I don't like Alfred Hitchcock movies. <laughs> and he was like, why don't you choice. like him? He was like, I just don't like him. I'm not charmed by him. And uh, he said, well, what movies do you like? He's like, John Ford movies. And I said, well, no that shit. makes sense. That's yeah. like your, yeah, that's your man, you know, and that's who you are. <laughs> that's like, if you're going to a Tommy Lee Jones movie that he's either in or directed, you're going to see a very John Ford-esque type movie. It's not going to be, char- it's not charm. It's not Clooney. It's not some guy trying to be Cary Grant. It's a different thing. What if he was like Vim Vendors? And you're like, what is happening? <laughs> like, what? Okay, what? Like Akira Kurosawa, huh? I mean, I'm sure yeah. he's seen all that too, but he's, you know, he's, he's like John Ford. I mean, I think that's also posturing a little bit of that as macho kind of, you know. I think he's playing a role. Yeah. yeah. A little yeah. bit. I mean, this is a guy who went to Harvard and he is so into polo that he's <laughs> yeah. got his own camp and the USA polo team practices there. Yeah. Like, you know, yeah. it's like this is, he's an effete culture guy. It's not like he's like, yeah, I just rolled out of a, a saloon and I'm just here, you know, like he's, he's playing a role, you know, he also is naturally that I understand, you know, but also though, he's not like the most high, he wasn't space cowboys. It'll be okay. Yeah, exactly. He's, he is, he was Al Gore's roommate. That tells you about how, about how rough this guy is. (laughs) Like he went to school with Stone Phillips of Dateline fame. (laughs) It'll be okay. Like (laughs) this man did not, he's not going to like go like live in a hole in the desert after this is all done. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I mean, he's not exactly like even Gene Hackman, who's just, you know, going around in New Mexico in his retirement age. And you see him on diners, drive-ins, and dives every once, apparently. I, I, and which is great. And Gene Hackman, I do. He's someone who's, I would actually, I buy Gene Hackman's, uh, uh, not working class isn't the, isn't the word, but more of his kind of rustic upbringing because he's from like San Bernardino, sort of like Inland Empire California I think he had kind of a rough upbringing and uh lonely he describes his life as being very low I mean he's a problem he might be my favorite actor of all time but he's someone who like on screen I'm like you seem like you're in actual pain you know he seems like someone who's got some maybe some real problems to draw on um I don't think he can't be himself yeah you know yeah Uh, and that goes both ways to your point like it's not you know even if you you are that way. It doesn't mean that you can accept that and that it's easy. And and obviously you went through it. Like I saw Prime Cut for the first time in the last. Oh, you know, during all this great movie. Yeah, I watched it a few times. I love it and from the get go. From the opening, you know, assembly line shot at the meat plant. You're like, oh, I know what this movie is. And yeah, it's a delight. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Lee Marvin and uh, is it is it Sissy Spacek or am I did I imagine? yeah her first oh, movie? Oh wow. Okay. Yeah, yeah. And that's and that and Hackman's the villain in that, right? Yeah, and he got that. He took that role. They said, you know, as a supporting villain, because they had filmed um, uh, French Connection, mm-hmm. and it was like I don't know if it was delayed, but he said he couldn't get work after filming French Connection. Little did we know what would come out of that. You know, best yeah. actor and blowing up. But I think he was like kind of. It was like in the a certain like within a year of making that or something, he couldn't get work, so he accepted that role, and he seemed to really delight in that role. Especially. Yeah, he's somebody who's like, we were talking before we started recording here a little bit about the idea of like clean resumes and yeah. should should one aspire to have a clean IMDb, uh, spotless, uh, 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 austere IMDb. And Gene Hackman is the epitome of not having one. He just has yeah. a mix of the, some of the greatest films ever made with uh, some of the some really forgettable stuff and small thrillers. And he's definitely an argument for just like, hey, take a job and eventually you'll get 
you know, five or six things that are, are, are great on it, you know, but take every that reminds job. Me, the director equivalent to that, uh, of that to me in terms of like volume and like disparate films sometimes is Ridley Scott. Yeah. You know, you'll remember certain ones, obviously some ones that really hit, but he could go like five years of a thing you will not remember. Yeah. And, and it's fascinating about, like, oh, that was Ridley Scott? Oh. Yes. He did yeah. Black Rain? Okay. <laughs> yeah. yeah, there's quite a few like that. There's, he did a little run with Russell Crowe where it's like, a good year, a Ridley yeah. Scott picture, a good year. Robin you know, like, Hood, a $200 million movie <laughs> yeah. that I forgot existed. It's I incredible. Which I saw theatrically. I was like, all right, Robin Hood. I was like, Ridley Scott does Robin Hood, yes. And then you're like, ooh, boy, that's a rough movie. Um, <laughs> like, how long do I have left? Oh, this is like a long movie. But I like Ridley, and I, I, that's an, a director I didn't appreciate very much when I was growing up, and now I see every, like, Ridley, I go out to see every Ridley Scott movie, because you just oh, I know do too. it's going to be, and, and I like some of the ones that people don't like very much. I'm a big, I really like Prometheus. I actually liked All the Money in the World a lot. Like, I, 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 you have to kind of go see everything he makes, I feel like. I think, I think that any movie he makes, they're not boring. He's doing something, you know, he's doing, he's making choices. Yeah. I think that's interesting. And like the last duel, I really enjoyed it. Really liked it. I saw House of Gucci the other day. I didn't do much for me, to be mm. honest. Uh, but again, it's not boring. <laughs> it's people making choices. Jared Leto is making choices. Yeah. That, that movie's almost like a Kabuki kind of <laughs> like yeah. style of bigness, but at the same time, not bored. We could debate whether or not the performances are actually good, but you're seeing performances like you're seeing those are some, you know, Lady Gaga is trying like and there's also (laughs) you're always going to get one or two at the very least one or two really just striking images. And Last Duel has a Last Duel. I like some parts, didn't like some parts, but I but it was like a beautiful night at the movies. You, You are immersed in that world for two and a half hours and you walk out and you go like, Oh yeah, those castles and candles and curtains in the wind. And you know, it's Ben Affleck's playing Ben Affleck. (laughs) He's, he seemed to really delight in that role. Like, yeah, almost, you know, sometimes it feels like act, you know, name known actors get roles where they're like, I don't have to carry this movie so I can just do whatever I want. And he really seemed to have fun in that movie. Oh, I think he thrives in, um, I think one of the great Ben Affleck I'm I'm real hot and cold on but yeah. uh he like you remember Extract? Oh yeah. That little cameo he had just I feel like when the pressure's off you're like I love Ben Affleck. Yeah. <laughs> I think Brad Pitt does that too. I know that that's like kind of a it's like a cliche now. It's that thing where everybody had independently the thought of he's really, you know, you think about it. He's like a movie star but he's like kind of a character actor. And yeah. and I get and and I think that's very fair, and I believe that. But I also think that when he's can do like a burn after reading, he delights in that. Yeah, and that's a, a very smart use of. Um, I have a friend who who has a darker view, vision of this, which is to say that that's what he's really like. <laughs> which yeah. I don't know if that's I don't know if that's true of Brad Pitt, but they definitely found something like that's inspired casting to say like, hey, no one's. No one's cast the very handsome Brad Pitt as a handsome moron. Uh, why don't we do it? That's like that's some Coen Brothers genius right there. Yeah, I love when they weaponize the when they can weaponize like movie stardom mm-hmm. sometimes like that or like just doing a choice. So you know, like um, I read that um, that Mad Max book that just came out, and uh. 
it's it's a very quick read. It's very entertaining. You know, every movie is a miracle, but that movie is a real fucking miracle. Like, I don't know how that movie is, in my opinion, so good, let alone how it got made in the first place. Is it's, it just on the wild. first Mad Max? Or on it's the on, no, it's on Fury Road. Oh, on Fury Road. Oh, okay. Oh, wow. Yeah, because wow. uh, some of the backstory on it was that that there were, basically it was like, even, everything's the same. In the 90s, they were like, well, Mad Max is IP that's not being used. Let's do mm. a TV show. And then they tried to get um, Miller in, George Miller in, and he was like, yeah, I don't want to do that. And then they were, then they came up with the idea for uh, Fury, what is Fury Road now in the mid-90s. And they've been oh. trying to get it made ever since. Wow. And, you know, apparently, like, it, up until not that long ago in the scheme of things, it was going to be uh, Mel Gibson. And then, uh, as we all know, things happen. And yeah. they were like, yeah, we're not doing that. <laughs> and also, at that point, yeah. he had already aged out for what they were looking to do anyway. Sure, yeah. And he so, was, it, uh, yeah. Yeah. And, and so it came down to apparently three actors to play Max. And that was Tom Hardy, as we know, Army Hammer, dodged that bullet. Oh, boy. Yeah. And Jeremy Renner. Oh, God. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. We as an audience really won there, I would, I would argue. Uh, yeah. Oh, my God. Army Hammer. Yeah, she's the Lone Ranger as the as Mad Max. Well, <laughs> uh, God, what in, that's that's real luck right there. Yes, and uh, I would also argue there was real luck, although I think the because Tom Hardy wasn't a, as he was a known commodity to some degree, but not to the degree that he is now. Granted, some as a result of Mad Max itself, but also being in bigger movies, playing Bane and everything, but. Uh, he was, it was a bit of a more of a gamble than it is now, certainly, you know, at the time. But the two people that I think it came down to for Furiosa were Charlize Theron and um, uh, Gal Gadot. Oh my gosh, that seems like early for Gal Gadot to be considered yeah. for that kind of thing. Wow. Yeah, that was before she is became Wonder Woman and everything else. So it was apparently that Miller was very taken by her whenever. They did the audition, so it was a big deal. Yeah, uh, it's hard to not imagine Charlize Theron in that movie now, especially because she's. I mean, the movie people kind of. I think people that didn't like the movie referred to it as like a bait and switch of like oh, we thought it was going to be about Mad Max and it's more about Furiosa, yeah. but it really is. It's like he kind of takes a subordinate role in a in a, in a really interesting way in that movie, uh, and she becomes kind of the. Uh, she's like the star in a way. Uh, Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. To. And. A- Apparently, for a lot of people, uh, speaking of Oscars, she was like number six on voting for Best Actress nominees. Oh, wow. That Which would have I been didn't interesting. realize. Yeah. Yeah, that would have been a, a rare action, I guess a rare female action performance to make it into that. I can't think of another. Maybe, I guess, if you count Sandra Bullock, Gravity, or a, yeah. a, a Sigourney Weaver or somebody like that, you know? Yeah, it's, uh, yeah, it feels like that for Oscars, like, um, Comedic performances are strictly relegated to supporting. Mm-hmm. If they get in, you know, your your Melissa McCarthy's for Bridesmaids, or even Kevin Klein winning for A Fish Called Wanda. Yeah, it's like that's where they get there, you know. And uh, it's kind of like we'll play a little bit with supporting, but for Best Actor, it's like no, you have to be in some kind of dramatic austere period piece. You got to be playing a real person. It's got to be something like that to take a certain amount of boxes for that. Yeah, it's it's a that, this is the one thing that's very boring about the Academy Awards, which I can I, I 
I do watch still to just see like or I watch it I watch it in some ways in the same way you I watch like the Grammys or whatever to just see like I don't know what are the, what's going to happen to this yeah. stupid show but um I do regret the fact that like there is an ability to kind of call attention to or to celebrate uh diff- all kinds of different performances and there's such limited imagination uh when it comes to nominating performances like I mean I think in the last I don't know 10 years one of the performances that I think really has was everyone loved and was just so cruelly ignored was tiffany haddish and girls trip which Absolutely. was remarkable i mean this is like a star is born oh my god in this film and uh and just you just go what how how limited do you have to be in your thinking to go ah eh, we're gonna skip over that one yeah you know uh i don't know it's just very it's it's it, it makes it that's what makes the show boring I agree. And and also, if you read like the Hollywood Reporter, whatever it is, like the anonymous ballot, and you get some kind of basic understanding of the thought process of the voter, I could see them being like, well, you know, like seven years ago, we gave a nomination to Melissa McCarthy. Mm -hmm. So we don't have to do that now for Tiffany Haddish. You know, like it's such a like a it's so like not about just this year of movies. There are so many other things. You know, like they say that Russell Crowe got it for Gladiator because it's a regretful choice because they think they, in retrospect, should have given it to him for The Insider, for example. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Or like the legacy Oscar of of a thing. Legacy plays, I definitely, you're getting, like, I mean, yeah, almost every year someone, like DiCaprio, I think, is the big example. I love DiCaprio, but The Revenant is not his great performance like there's he did five before that and a couple since that are yeah, better Scorsese so. for the departed you know exactly yeah uh yeah which I love that movie but again it's I not yeah, it's not like his that's not the one and and of course you can't I mean that sort of makes sense you know but in any given year just the range of films I think it's getting narrower too I think some of it might have to do with actually with the screener system and the campaigning system yeah. because if you're I'm in a few not to brag I'm in a few unions and oh. so I get I get the I get some screeners for just for my unions. I'm not in a the academy. Yeah. But what you find is you get these things in the mail and you get links to now to to digital screeners and stuff and you end up just watching your you and all your friends end up just kind of watching the same five movies because you have links to all these movies and so if you're filling out a ballot you go, well, I saw Nightmare Alley and I saw King Richard and I saw Dune because those are the ones I had the screeners to and blah, blah, blah. So I guess you're not, no human being is sitting and watching 40 movies between December and, and February. You know, it's, yeah. it's a, it's, you only have so many time. You, you're going to maybe watch 10, maybe 12 or something if you're, you know, if you're a real movie head. And, uh, and so people go, well, who was in that movie I saw that was good? Well, yeah. I guess in that movie there was a performance that was pretty good. So and so you end up with like a very small number of films being nominated as opposed to like let me think back to June, a movie I saw and who was in that and you know I'd uh, say even the basic nature of like we we know Oscar season is like September maybe, but definitely November, December because even that could boil down to just the recency bias of it all. Yeah. About, oh, I remember that movie. Yeah. Because, you know, after anything before June, especially in the foggy-brained world of, like, a pandemic, for example, I don't remember half of what I saw. Like, I remember Barb and Star, because that movie I love so much. 
Mm-hmm. But outside of that, I couldn't tell you 10 movies that came out after a certain point in the year. No, you literally have to like log your movies like a like a like a, a psychopath, which I do. You I know, do, and yeah. so so I make like a I, I could if I'm picking my if if you said what are your favorite movies of the year, I'd be able to go to my little list and say like, oh, I like this one back from way back in the beginning of the year, or this one from the summertime or whatever. But most people don't do that. Most people are just like people forget stuff they see, and so it's very rare. It's always been very traditionally rare for those movies. I think like babe or something was the last time that like a summertime movie made it into the competition it's very rare it's probably been one since but i was looking i was reading about like the god right now it's the 50th anniversary of the godfather and the godfather was a uh, march release that made it amazing yeah it made it all the way to the end of the year and um that's so rare now for for i don't i mean it's almost unheard of for something from march to make it all the way to january how was it in the theater like getting because it is Seeing something like that or like a classic like that is kind of a reminder of truly how unique the theater experience is. Mm-hmm. So with something like that, I'm curious, how was that to revisit that in the theater? It's a, a great, uh, it was great. And it looks, it's been remastered uh, in a process, which I've since learned was a little bit more complicated than it seems like it was. It's, they actually went back to the original negative and recolored things. So the movie looks phenomenal. Oh, wow. They did. I didn't see it. There was like a run where they did played it in Dolby uh, cinemas and AMC, yeah. uh, which apparently that was like the way to see it. And then they also out here, they did the Academy, the Academy museum did a, a screening the other night, which I very stupidly didn't go to, um, that Coppola was at. Uh, and so I missed a couple really good screenings of it, but it, but just seeing it in a standard AMC, it's, it was amazing. Uh, uh, it's a film that I realized I'd never seen in a theater before. And you see, I've seen it so many times on television that you're used to, it's almost like a TV movie, Yeah, you know, because you watch it a lot on TV. I've watched it, I don't know, dozens of times with commercial breaks in it and you kind of come in and out or whatever. And when you watch it from beginning to end, there's a real sense of uh, uh, scope and uh, time passing. And you really get the sense of like, wow, Marlon Brando disappears for like an hour in the middle of this movie. Uh, And it's just uh, certain details pop out in a certain way. And you also get that we, I was talking with the friends I saw it with afterwards that we just realized, oh my God, this movie just wouldn't, wouldn't happen anymore. It's, uh, there's a roughness to it in a way that is, uh, exciting. It's not, it's not a particularly slick or perfect movie. Uh, and also, uh, the other thing that I appreciate about it is the scope of the film really comes into you, you go, Oh, okay. This is like, this is one story as opposed to like something I'm watching, you know, over the, over the course of, uh, while I'm doing, uh, while I'm answering emails or something. That is a movie too, where you, it's so mythologized, you know, like the, the legend is as big as the movie itself that you kind of, you have to revisit it. And I can see it in that setting about like, Oh yeah, the Godfather. And you realize certain things about it. And it really, it, again, it's like, it's a, it's legendary. You know, it is. Oh, you know, the other thing that I noticed about it was that the was that there were certain iconic things and there are things that they're almost annoying now because there's certain like I'm going to make him an offer. He can't refuse or whatever. Yeah. And you've seen that. You've heard that line so many times that it's now a hackneyed thing. It's become almost part of our like of our parody culture is like, oh, the Godfather's going to make him an offer. He can't refuse. And something about watching it and watching it with an audience that I actually don't think knows the movie very well. Like oh, now a contemporary audience going to see that movie might not 
there's probably people that in the audience who don't have never seen it and uh and that you hear those lines actually hit and you go like oh that's just a great iconic line and it works in the context of the movie it's not um it's like goodfellas you know do you think i'm funny it's like it's hard to appreciate that scene now because everyone's has their impression and it's been i mean reprocessed on whatever animaniacs or whatever you know to the point where we we don't really appreciate it but if you if you can if you get in the right mood in the right moment and you watch goodfellas and you watch that scene you go wow that's a really great what a what just what a great scene like forget iconic it's just great you know yeah it's like being at the origin story of a cliche that you're like oh yeah it's it's an overused phrase because it's so apropos yeah but then it becomes white noise eventually it's almost like uh to the point where like in you've got mail godfather quotes were a care were a quirk of tom hanks's character like, yeah it it was a story device yes yeah and i even i kind of winced when those showed up in the movie like the leave the gun or take the cannoli or whatever yeah. i'm kind of like oh that's the one they mentioned in you got mail Ugh. but it's take a funny to the line. mattresses yeah. yeah exactly it's still a good it doesn't make it a less good line it just makes our association with it you know uh, I'm just tired of hearing it, and I and I love it, but it's just like I can't anymore. I don't want to be, I don't want to be de- desensitized towards awesome things, but I also understand that sometimes that's how it permeates the cultural zeitgeist. You know, like uh, I say that by the way, and I and I watched I think last year Coda, the mm-hmm. recut of Godfather Three. Yeah, really liked it. I liked it too. I uh, I saw it too, and I had not seen Godfather. Had you ever seen Godfather just a basic cut? Or Godfather Three basic cut? I had, but it was uh, long enough to where rewatching the new one was like a new experience enough. Mm-hmm. And also, it's a very, as far as I can tell, like there's quite a bit of difference. You know, really, I really liked it a lot. I was surprised by how much I liked it. Yeah, they did a the one change to Coda that I definitely remember because I had seen the film very young and I. I had not really seen it in its entirety, and I watched it when they, whatever they released Coda online or whatever. And I, um, that opening scene, they do an opening scene where he's talking to, uh, I believe, like a cardinal, yeah. uh, and you realize, oh, it's an echo of Godfather One's opening scene, and uh, I thought that was a very f- interesting way to restart the film, and obviously something that Coppola kind of must have thought about, like, oh, here's here's how we should, here's a different way to start it, you know. Um, yeah, I feel like I read that he he's like, oh, I figured it out. I yeah. figured out how to quote unquote fix it. And I don't know how, in retrospect, how bad Godfather Three was, or if it just wasn't an all time classic like the first two. I don't know whether it was like bad, bad, or like just the redheaded stepchild, as they say, because uh, to the point where like they were shocked when it was nominated for Best Picture at the time. I think it's I think it's a I think it's now it's very easy especially like with the steep drop off in quality of average studio release yeah. it's very easy to look at Godfather 3 now and go like it's it's good it's actually good by comparison but it is not as good I mean it is in nowhere near the first class of the of the first two movies and that's that it's like there's nothing you know you're going to watch Godfather 3 maybe twice in your life and the other ones you're going to want to watch once every 5 years or once every yeah. 10 years you know and uh that's just it's it's a nice Godfather three is a perfectly serviceable three star movie. Like it's not a it's it's there's no complaints, but it's oh there's a few complaints. <laughs> yeah, it's but. in retrospect it could be argued um it wasn't necessarily made for all the right reasons. It was made in a post like Cotton Club Francis Ford Coppola world. Yeah, my money, he needed the money and yeah. yeah. And 
and fair enough. I mean, I say that by the way, and like it was probably around the time, maybe after he did Dracula, or maybe right before Bram Stoker's Dracula, which a movie that I I find delightful. I love Dracula. I not I you know I I never seen it, and I a couple of years ago they played it at LACMA. They played it, and I nice. That's a great first experience. Uh, yeah, I went with uh, my friend Jordan Morris. We went to Blackma and watched Dracula in the middle of the day, and we had a ball. <laughs> it is so fun. <laughs> There's so much fun things happening in that movie. I mean, yeah. like somehow, like Keanu Reeves's ac- voice in that is his accent choice, which is arguable in its in its own way, is like number thirty on the list of fascinating things happening. Oh yeah, I went in expecting because that's the thing you always hear is like, oh, Keanu's kind of bad in the movie, and I went thinking that was going to be like the the main event, and you realize no, this movie has everything going on it, and it's a glorious movie. I mean, it's a it's a movie I appreciate now. Something about aging, or it might be something about pandemic or something, but I I love big baroque movies with tons of shit in it like uh that's the kind of movie i like and uh and i seek that out now is like just give me a lot of beautiful big big swing images yeah i don't know if it's like let me i need more to cut through the brain fog of it all i don't know what it is but more is like when somebody goes big i feel like i appreciate it more than i ever have like yes you know Mm. maybe because like that i'm like that's a choice and even if it doesn't work for me i respect it yeah and uh i always appreciate the yeah i always appreciate the the effort and uh yeah it's just a weird it's a weird um i think when i was a kid i maybe i didn't appreciate especially with costume dramas and stuff i was like uh it's got to really draw me in and now i can just watch a like a dangerous liaisons and just be like look at those gowns you know you like i don't know what it is that that took over in my brain that made me like that but now i'm like yep that's my kind of movie yeah i saw um for the Maybe I'd seen it years ago, but Howard's End. Yeah, and I'm like, man, that is that is a good piece of business. I love I love Howard's. End. I love uh, both Howard's End and Remains of the Day were very crucial movies for me when I was that younger. But uh, but Howard's End is wonderful. It really is. Um, I know that on on the first episode of your podcast too, um, Mama Needs a Movie that the, you talk about the Lost Daughter, mm. and that there's a lot going on with that movie. It's it stressed me the fuck out. I'll tell you that much. That, but um, my point of bringing it up it reminded me of Jesse Buckley, who I saw on a BBC version that feels like it's really underseen of War and Peace that they did in like 2013 or something. Oh wow! And that's where I first saw her. And Paul Dano's in it, and like a bunch of English actors that you've now seen that weren't really as known then. Mm-hmm. And I, so that's where I first saw Jesse Buckley. And I was like, oh, who is that? Yeah. Like, oh, she's gonna be a star. She's she has, she reminds me of like, I don't know, Meryl Streep or something. Something in the sense of, it's an unfair comparison to her, but in that there is so, she plays a lot of um, internalized characters for the most part, seemingly, and she gives so much to it without having, it's like she's doing nothing but everything. She's unbelievable. She's a, she's really, she's phenomenal. I, I saw the movie, um, I have a sister who's a, a country musician and, Oh, I yeah. said, I said we should look at this movie Wild Rose, um, and we saw that was I didn't know anything about Jesse Buckley. And we looked at her in Wild Rose, and we walked away from it and just in love with Jesse Buckley. And uh, and then I thinking of ending things, uh, I was like, this is like, a, is this the same actress? Yeah, <laughs> uh, uh, yeah. She's and then she's, Fargo season four, I think. Yes, yeah, yeah. Where it's like she can do anything, and she makes it look effortless. While also I understand. 
she's making so many choices. I but I, I think she's so so talented. Like Wild Rose is a movie I recommend to a lot of people because it feels vastly underseen. And I saw that in the theater, and she's so good in that movie. Yeah, she's uh she's just someone who's I don't know. It's like there you can get into the we can get into the fine details of acting, but there's just sometimes people that are just really just they're just easy to watch like jesse buckley is just has an each i think she understands how the camera works and she's easy to watch and uh and that's and and olivia coleman i actually put in that same category i think she's like that's she's become someone who's now it's like you got to see everything olivia coleman does because she just gets she just gets she understands how to calibrate her performance for the camera and great uh, and there and together that movie I think is like I, I I go back and forth on whether or not I really like it but um but but it's worth seeing for those two performances for sure I agree and another one too that she gives another like kind of quiet performance called uh, Beast is a movie that's worth watching what's and Beast Beast is a movie where she plays somebody who has like trauma and she's kind of getting her life it's in a kind of like quiet uh, English village maybe type. And she meets a guy who is interesting, but also like has darkness to him, and it's about their relationship. And it's so it's dramatic, but it's it's very well done. Oh, I was thinking when you said Beast, I was thinking of that movie Beastly about the <laughs> oh, guy yeah, that's yeah. like tattoos. But about that War and Peace thing, is that? Oh, you said that was BBC. Yeah, it was BBC. Okay. It was I think from like 2013, 2014, and it's got a bunch of English actors, and then just Paul Dano, and Paul Dano is great in it, but it's just kind of like. Oh wow! Like, did you just reach out? It's just a fascinating choice of like, that's the one American. Is he the lead? But is he like the the? Uh, he's one of the primary people, as much as an uh, ensemble like to that degree is. But yeah, uh, he's yeah, he's great in it too. It's a it's really well done. I watched it a few times. I um I was they did now it's on Criterion, but it, a few years back they released the Russian that massive Russian War and Peace yeah. by Sergei Bandershuk in theaters, and I watched the whole thing in one day. Um, and so I had never read War and Peace. I was not well acquainted with the story. And I feel like I, I, I'm now like, hmm, maybe I become like a War and Peace guy. Like I, <laughs> I watch yeah. all the adaptations and try to yeah. really understand it because certainly even after seeing that whole massive thing, I'm like, I don't know if I, I, uh, yeah, it's like any, any great novel. You're like, uh, you're like, oh, I think I have to, I might have to like do a deeper study of this to really get it, you know? Yeah. And for me, that translates to, I might have to watch the other movies of it. Exactly. As opposed to reading it. I'm like, a part of me is like, I'll dedicate 70 hours to watching it. You're like, I just can't read it. That's asking too much. I mean, yeah. I understand this is a great book, but come on. What, you, what, have you done, what have you done for me in a movie form? <laughs> You're like, cool, but what does Ridley Scott think of it? So let me watch that. Yeah. Um, I know we're going to wrap it up here in a second, but I do want to ask you that. Uh, your IMDb photo is that Nicholas Ray? Is that what you're doing? That <laughs> I, think that, I think I think it is. Yeah. Okay. That's the you're the first person that might have acknowledged uh, that might have guessed that correctly. Uh, yeah, I had a. Uh, I think I don't know why I did that. Oh, I think I got an IMDb uh, Pro account because you can look up. I need to occasionally. I need to look up people's agents or so and so. Yeah. And uh, and I was like, oh, you can change your photo. And uh, at the time, I was pursuing more directing work, and I was like, "Oh, maybe it would be funny to put a picture of myself uh, as a." I was trying to make like the picture of the mo of like who looks like a director, and in my head, it was yes. like Andre de Toth or uh, Nicholas Ray, and so uh, so I did. I just uh, shot a, a photo of myself as Nicholas Ray on my phone. 
I don't think it. I don't think people really like it though, because people never. I, I don't. It, it, I just certainly didn't get more work from it. So, <laughs> I think I think that if you know the reference, you're delighted by it, and if you don't, you're like, "What is happening here?" <laughs> yeah. Because uh, I saw him. I, I saw a movie I didn't realize existed previous to watching it, like last year, I think, "My American Friend." Which oh is, yes, yeah, and yeah. I loved it. Uh, that's a great movie, and. Uh, there's another movie he did with Wim Wenders. I don't think it's called Lightning Over Water. That was the one that uh, I saw him in. He had that weird spate of perform, you know, like he was sort of acting in Wim Wenders movies and stuff and showing up. And there's there's a few from that time, Lightning Over Water and My American Friend. And uh, interesting, uh, was a professor, I guess. I don't know much about his, his old, yeah. older history, but I think he taught Jim Jarmusch and some people. And, oh, interesting. Yeah. It also weirdly kind of makes sense. That's that's interesting. Like, uh, yeah. Anyway, that um, my American friend highly recommended adaptation. It's a, one of the earlier Tom Ripley adaptations. Interestingly, an enough. early Patricia Heisman. Yeah, yeah. Who just did? Uh, who's Deep Water was just adapted and came out recently in a movie that I absolutely delighted in as well. <laughs> it's a old fashioned Adrian Lynn sex thriller, you know. And, yeah. Uh, and if you like that, you'll like Deep Water. <laughs> unfaithful you, I, <laughs> it's wild by the way it's his first movie in 20 years because unfaithful was 2001 which was wild to me yeah and he's made eight movies total now which mm. again is wild to me because i guess because it's eight movies over like 40 years mm-hmm. at this point i'm like oh wow it's nice to have an adrian lyon movie for the first time oh yeah it's in um, two decades i had never seen the movie jacob's ladder until last summer and uh, I put it on, and it was it was uh, a rare experience where I watched the film, and I was very very disturbed. And I've yeah. and I and I know people have said that over the years, like, oh, that's a disturbing movie. But I woke up the next day, and I was still kind of disturbed by it. And I was a uh, I, I almost I almost regretted watching it <laughs> in a way. I was sort of yeah. depressed by it, and I was like, that's a pretty effective filmmaker, like, and and a pretty effective film to make you feel uh, uh, really upset. Uh, by a movie uh, like and, that, and to still, even so many years later, to still have that imagery be that effective. Yeah, thirty like, years later. A, yeah. In a weird way, I can only imagine how fucked up it would have been then. Not that that changes anything, but I feel like I've seen enough stuff now that might have taken from it or just you know ran with it, and then you realize, yeah, I'm a little. It's not as effective, but that movie still is. You know, I saw Crumb after I saw your tweet about it. Mm-hmm. saying, you know, why is this the only one that seems to be the really, really good uh, uh, documentaries about artists? Mm-hmm. And I watched that movie, loved it. It also depressed the shit out of me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But it's great. Yeah. I get yeah. why it's so known and people still watch it. Yeah, that's one where you go... Uh, uh... Yeah, I think when I saw it, I was I was very depressed by it. Now I now it's almost an optimistic story <laughs> because I go, well, at least this man found at least drawing saved his life. You know, <laughs> uh, maybe it's weird I, <laughs> that you're like he gets it. This guy gets it exactly. I, but I'm in like, the this, moment, you're like fucking hell. This man who's probably like I, I can only imagine his, his legacy might grow more problematic. I'm like, well, at least he at least he found something to do with his hands. Hopefully, I can find something like that that will save my yeah. life. <laughs> <laughs> and now he's in. Now he's still in France, where he talks about moving in the documentary uh, from like 30 years ago, and he occasionally pops up on a podcast. Oh, talk- wow. Yeah, which I went down the rabbit hole after watching that, and he pops up on a podcast, and I was like, oh, I did not anticipate R. Crumb on a podcast, and it's a friend of his 
and they talk about like French music from the 30s. Oh, he's like, which makes so much sense. French music from the 30s. And I used to collect the <laughs> records, and they were really they were scratchy and old records. Um, did you see the movie The Worst Person in the World? I did. Uh, that's I thought the the invocation of Crumb was interesting there, and he beca- and he goes on a podcast. In that yes, movie. <laughs> I uh, I really like that movie. I thought that's a movie that's like sometimes it, it kind of shouldn't have worked as effectively as it did in a way because it's you know, like switching genres seemingly, but it's like wow, Yakum Trier knows exactly what he's doing. Fair enough. I mm-hmm. thought it was really good. I really liked it. Yeah, yeah, it's an interesting one. The one conversation I've had about it is, would we like it as much as if it if it were an American film? I mean, or just imagine that it's that story in English and it's airing on a streamer. Um, That's interesting. And, I can see I, it. Yeah, I think I. It's something. It's a, it actually. It's some. It's a question I bring more onto myself because I think I might have a prejudice against it if I saw it and if it was just you know like whatever like. Um, uh, Amanda Seyfried as the young woman or whatever in this movie, I think I would probably be like, ah, I don't really think that's something I want to watch, but it's a Norwegian film. And so this must be an artistic film or whatever. And uh, <laughs> I think that uh, it's it taught me a little bit about like, uh, maybe just try to watch some of that stuff. It's the same, just in a different language, you know, like maybe it's, maybe I'm too, uh, I don't know, I'm bringing stuff into the experience of, viewing sometimes it's maybe not fair you know i get that i could just see it to be where if it was an american movie it would have been like well she's adorable yeah and that would have been a whole thing you know as opposed yeah. to like yeah it's austere and it's interesting and it's like it's it's got an icelandic chilliness to it you know like just what that does that how loaded that becomes but uh anyway i, I don't want to keep you too much longer so what all do you want to point people toward before we wrap it up um well, like you mentioned, I have this. Uh, I went many years uh, uh, resisting do, doing any kind of podcast or ever starting anything like that. I was never really interested in it or thought that I would be particularly good at it. I don't think I'm particularly good at it now, but my friend and I, Ann Riemann, do this thing called Mama Needs a Movie, which is a, a, a film discussion podcast. And she's a mother. And she kind of she had an idea of like, oh, let's do a show that kind of discusses a. Uh, films through the through the perspective of what it means to be a parent i'm not a parent so i was like why me to do the show uh but we've just talked about movies for so many hours over the course of our life that it's always an easy conversation and uh so uh uh it was a natural uh kind of fit and so we've done i don't know 10 episodes of it and uh, and it's it's a fun it's sort of a strange thing because it's like um starting a podcast now seems completely uh fruitless and and uh yeah. like it's there's no way that it could work but at the same time there's something invigorating about it too of like wow i'm I'm really in a big pond here, you know, like, (laughs) (laughs) which I'm sure you must have have a feeling sometimes of like, Hey, it's uh, trying to get the, trying to make the best bookings you can and get the best people. And, and, and you're in the, you're in the game, you know, it's kind of all the win. Yeah. I mean, even when I started this March 21st, 2020, even then it was like, look, this is the landscape is inundated. It's a volume game. Fair enough. It's all a win, you know, at this point. You know, it's like it's as much a why not as why and vice versa. So fuck it. Yeah, exactly. And it's also like that whole question is predicated on like it's got to be a success and it's got to make money and yeah. it's got to and it has to have such and such viewers. Or such and such. It's like it has to do nothing. You just have to have fun doing it. Like that's the, that's no one's minding the store. As long as you're yeah. having fun having the conversations, no one gives a shit. Like, yeah, it's not like a, <laughs> I need I need to pay my mortgage. Let's start a podcast. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah. yeah and no. so once you take that pressure off of it, it's like making sketches for the internet. I still do. I've had jobs working in sketch comedy and stuff, and I still make sketches for the internet sometimes because I don't know. That's what I do. I don't really. It doesn't have to. Be, it doesn't have to pay off. You know, yeah. in some way, it's an outlet. It's, it's a win. Yeah. 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 yeah exactly. Yeah. yeah. So and that's it's a great it. show too because it's just. Uh, it really does feel like you're. These are conversations you were already having, so it's like, yeah, let's do a podcast, and they're very just fun, thoughtful. Just conversations about movies, which I love. Well, Brandon, if you want to come on, uh, we will. Uh, we uh, we would be an honor, and we would love oh, to wow. have you at some okay. point. Uh, because this is uh, you. Ca- you cert- the only qualifications is you have to be able to talk about movies, which you certainly can. <laughs> God, yeah, to a fault, probably. Like it's it's the the psychopathy of that. Yeah, no doubt. It's like almost like yeah, we need to have him on because otherwise he might do a Tom Cotton esque eating birthday cake every day. And- <laughs> murder somebody for all we know yeah um, well thank you for doing this this was so easy this was absolutely delight i appreciate it thank you so much brandon this is a this is a terrific show and uh, and uh, it was a pleasure to do yes thank you thank you all for listening gonna transition into weird formal going in for the landing voice uh thank you for listening please stay <laughs> safe take care get vaccinated or get the booster do everything do right by yourself do right by others Lead with empathy, etc. Hey, and enjoy the Oscars, which I guess you would have already done. Enjoy. Can't believe Coda won. Watch them again. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, but, but hey, tell us about your favorite host. Which one was it? Regina Hall, Amy Schumer, Wanda Sykes. Maybe a surprise host. <laughs> Get in those mentions. Man, isn't it wild? Lin-Manuel Miranda. What a wild guy. Anyway, enjoy. Stay safe. Thank you for listening. Bye.